Welcome to my homestead, y'all. I'm your host, Jenny Veliki, also known as the Funky Farm Girl. I'm working to create a home with a little farm, a little faith, a lot of food, and a bit of funky. I'm learning all about growing and preserving our food supply, raising chickens and children, and becoming more self-sufficient while leaning hard on Jesus. And I want to take you along for the ride. So grab yourself a cup of something wonderful, and let's visit a while. Hey y'all, this is the Funky Farm Girl podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Veliki, also known as the Funky Farm Girl, and this is episode 83, Simple Sourdough. I've had lots and lots of requests for um, just a rundown of how to do sourdough bread, and I'm happy to say that after years of trying and failing, I've finally figured out a system, and so today I want to share that with you. Um, but before we get into that, I want to let you know about today's sponsor. Today is brought to you by the Wellness Box. The Wellness Box has over 500 products for your home, your body, and your health. You have easy swaps from the, the products that you're using now to the Wellness Box products um, that can be delivered right to your door for target prices, basically. These are high-quality, wonderful products. Um, everyone in my family uses them. We love them. Things to clean your home, your kitchen, your bathroom, your furniture, um, your laundry, and then things for your body anywhere from dental care to deodorant to f- facial care, um, makeup, supplements, all kinds of things. So if you're interested in learning more about a U.S owned debt-free company that delivers straight to your door at target prices click the link in the show notes to learn more about the wellness box so what's happening on the homestead this week this week we are prepping the back garden bed Um, last year we started a new large bed and that bed was primarily for Gracie to use in growing tomatoes. It was a place that I previously had had a berry garden. I'd had two blueberries and two blackberry bushes back there the year before. And so I moved those to the other side of the yard to give her this optimum space for the tomatoes. This is a, a great little space um, back in the back of the yard that gets plenty of sunlight Um, the ground there was wonderful because I had prepped it the year before for the berries and we just got a prolific um, tomato harvest from it at one point I was picking a hundred tomatoes a day out of that garden and so um, that garden has been laid to rest for the winter and through the winter um, we had a blackberry vine that has come up and multiplied in the middle of this space and then lots and lots of different weeds um, like dead purple nettle and chickweed and some other things that I'm not sure what they are we've had some wild geranium 
And so I've gone through this week and pulled a lot of that out. Um, I still need to rake out the dead grass that has grown up into it. And then I will plant my tomatoes there again this year, I think. Um, and begin to remulch that area. Um, and then right beside of it where the chickens used to be able to get out and scratch around before our hawk problem. Um, I'm going to try growing potatoes. So I've been getting those two beds ready. Um, and we also had a couple little visitors to the funky farm this week. Um, there's a post about it on my Instagram, but I was so thankful to have two families come out, bring their little boys, and we got a tour of the garden. We tasted lettuce. We looked at several different things that were already growing. We learned about planting seeds and bulbs. We read a book about that as well. And we also met the chickens and read a book about the chickens. It was so much fun. So if you're local and you have little ones and would love to come out to the Funky Farm and have your child see more about where their food comes from and meet the chickens, um, please email me at the funky farm girl podcast at gmail.com and um or you can go over to instagram and message me there i'd love to have you come out to visit us so let's get into this week's episode i'm gonna dra- grab a drink of water because i've got that allergy throat going on right now Okay, so y'all have heard me say since episode one on here that I wanted to learn how to do sourdough. (coughs) And it's something that I have wanted to do for several reasons. First of all, the health benefits. You know, um, one, you don't have any preservatives because you're making something from scratch at home rather than buying it at the store. So you're not dealing with preservatives and added corn syrups and things like that. Um, number two, the fermentation process actually helps you to digest the food better and it lowers your glycemic index um, reaction to that food. So you're not going to get the big blood sugar spikes that you would with white bread. Um and it fills you up faster. It's just a more nourishing type bread um, from a health standpoint. And so it was something that I really was wanting to look into more and wanting to learn how to make. Plus it costs less than store-bought bread and it tastes better. So a couple weeks ago, I was finally able to make a breakthrough and get started with sourdough. And I want to share that with you today, but I also want to share what makes it hard, what makes people, I believe, shy away from it or be like, oh, that is so much more than I can take on. There is a lot of chatter out there about sourdough. Um, There's so many things on there about, oh, well, you have all these different flowers. You need to use this specific kind of flour. And if you don't use this specific kind of flour, your bread's just not worth the time that you're making it. Or you have to measure everything in by weight. 
And so all the ingredients are written in grams and things like that. That was always overwhelming to me. And I was like, I don't know the first thing about doing that. I know it's the way professionals bake. Um, but I'm not a professional. I'm at mom at home with kids and dinner that I'm trying to get on the table. Um, they talked about using specific types of water and all these different things. Um, whether or not you could use a metal spoon or whether you needed to use a wooden spoon. I mean, it's just, uh, I believe that our culture today, um, even though we're living in the information age, sometimes I believe that we can get information overload to the point that we're overanalyzing something because there's so many voices and so many opinions about the right way to do something that sometimes that can lead to overwhelm and it can prevent us from even starting to begin with. And I really believe that sourdough is is one of the prime examples of that. So let's cut through the chatter and let's get down to the basics because surely it was not this complicated for Ma Ingalls um, when she was baking bread for her family. I want to be able to walk you step by step through starting sourdough and help you to keep it simple. Okay, I learned this way from Sprouts on Sprouts, um, which is um, my friend Alexa over on Instagram. I will tag her in the show notes so that you can go. If you need visual to go with this, if you go to her highlights, she or her video page, I think it is. um, She literally has, here's the first feeding. Here's the second feeding. Here's the next feeding. Oh, now you need to discard. Here's how you do that. She goes step by step through it. And she does it in the same way that I'm going to be talking to you about today. She keeps it very simple. And she's not over the top with it. So, um, I hope that today's podcast, plus going and referencing Alexa over on Sprouts on Sprouts, will be super helpful and that you will finally be on the way to making sourdough yourself. So, what do we need to get started? Just three things. Flour, water, and then an optional thing is a starter. That's right, you don't even have to have a starter to start. You can create your own starter. It takes a little bit more time, but it can be done. If you decide that you want to use a starter, there's two different kinds. You can get a wet active starter, which basically means you find a friend that's using sourdough and ask them for some of their discard. You use that discard and begin to feed it just like you would sourdough starter and it will activate and be healthy and ready to use. Um, That's the quickest way. Uh, You can also buy a dehydrated starter from the store Um, you can get them online in several different places I know Alexa over on Sprouts on Sprouts will have them um, on her online store um, on occasion Um, she's been taking a break from that recently she may be back up and running with that now Um, mine was given to me by a listener who lives um, I don't remember where she lives but the the starter that she sent me was dehydrated and had originally come from Alaska and was over a hundred years old. So I love that there's a story to each of these starters. Um, So if you would like to start with the starter, 
and have a little bit of a boost and a jump start. You can do those two things. Find a wet starter from a friend that's like a recent discard or something like that. Um, or get a dehydrated starter online. Then all you need is flour and water. So let's go through our ingredients and talk about what's important when it comes to these ingredients from a simple perspective, okay? With flour, there are two things we need to remember. Number one, quality in, quality out, okay? You don't need to have a fancy starter. It doesn't even need to be bread flour. Uh, you don't have to have a fancy flour. It doesn't need to be bread flour. But if you're using generic bleached all-purpose flour from the store your starter is going to struggle and let me tell you why flour is the food for your starter it eats through the flour and if you're giving it junky food it's going to make junky starter if you're giving it higher quality food it's going to make a higher quality um, starter for you so can you use the cheap all-purpose if that's all you have yes but be prepared that it will take longer it won't be as active it will be slower to rise and all those kinds of things if you're okay with that and maybe that's all you have and you don't want it to keep you from getting started go right ahead um, but if you're coming at this from I want to make some good sourdough and I want it to be active and successful and happy um, the best thing that you could give it is an unbleached all-purpose flour um, I buy the King Arthur brand it's very easy to find um, I buy it in 10 pound bags at Sam's Club you can find it at Walmart very easily it's pretty inexpensive so it's not an over-the-top expensive flour it's not hard to find it's not something you have to order online or anything like that but it's a good quality flour um, unbleached all-purpose flour the second thing that you need to remember when it comes to flour is to keep it consistent use the same kind of flour every time you feed it so you're not going to switch back and forth and one time you're feeding it wheat flour, one time you're feeding it rye, one time you're feeding it white, one time you're feeding it your cheap bleached flour and the next time you're feeding it better flour that's unbleached all purpose like we just talked about. Your sourdough is going to respond to all those different changes and have to acclimate and it's going to make it confused and it's going to make it really weak because it's putting more energy into adapting to the change than it is into growing so keep your flour the same whatever type of flour you would like to bake with is the type of flour you'd like to use now can you use whole wheat and make sourdough absolutely but you need to remember that whole wheat flour requires a lot more water and it's going to be a heavier denser bread as long as you realize that up front and you're okay with that go right ahead with your whole wheat flour if that's what you would like to use um, again my recommendation is the unbleached all-purpose flour from King Arthur it's universal it's it's really easy to find it's inexpensive and it works really well so 
for our conversation today, I'm covering general sourdough. If you have gluten issues and you have to have gluten-free bread, I'm not going to be able to help you. I have no experience with that, and it's a whole different ballgame. However, Melissa Frosi from Wendelin Farms um, has an excellent, excellent gluten-free sourdough course. Anytime I've ever heard anyone talk about gluten-free sourdough, they have talked about Marissa. And so I'm going to put her link in the show notes as well so that if you're excited and you want to do sourdough but you need to do it from a gluten-free standpoint, Marissa is your gal. She's the one that can teach you exactly the way to do it. Um, She has a son with celiac and um, she has been making gluten-free sourdough for them for a long time and she has all the experience and expertise in the world. It is a whole different ballgame. Okay, so um, now that we've got flour, the next thing we need is water. Okay, you need to ask yourself two questions when it comes to water. Number one, would you drink it? You want to use drinkable water. Um, if your water right out of the tap is wonderful and you drink it just right out of the tap, then that's what you can use to do your sourdough. Um, If you regularly drink filtered water from your fridge or from a Berkey water system like I have, use that. Um, I use the water from my Berkey and it's just fine. Um, Other people I know just use water straight from the tap and that's fine. You do not need to go buy filtered water to use in your sourdough. Um, You just need to make sure that it's it's drinkable because if it's good for you to drink then it's good to make sourdough Um, I use the filtered water because we have a well and with our well there's it has a a different taste Um, it's not something we enjoy we don't do anything with water straight out of the tap Um, so I would not use that to make sourdough starter Um, So I use the filtered water from my Berkey filter. The other thing you need to ask yourself is what's the temperature of my water? Now, I'm not getting all techy on you here. We're not getting out a thermometer. We're not going to check the temperature and the temperature of the air and all of that kind of thing. Um, I have read those kinds of bread books before. This is not that thing. Okay. All I want you to understand is if your water is super cold or if it's super warm, it's going to cause different reactions in your starter. If it's super cold, it's going to slow down the growth of the starter. That's why when you're making a starter, if you're busy and you can't continue to feed it and keep it going, you can put it in the fridge. And it's basically like pushing the pause button on your starter. It will sit there happy in your fridge for a very long time. Um, And then you can take it out, bring it back to room temperature, and feed it again, and it will be active. Um, So if you're using very cold water, you're slowing down the growth of your starter. If you're using water that's too hot, um, it's not going to grow, or it's going to kill it, because heat will kill the bacteria that's trying to grow there. And so you don't want to use water that's too hot. 
I basically just try to go for room temperature water. Um, we have, like I said, the Berkey filter and ours is room temperature. Um, if you're using tap water and you just turn it on, whatever comes out when you first turn it on is just fine. If you sit there and let it run and get really warm or really cold, it's going to be maybe a little bit off. Okay. If you use water that's too warm or too hot, it's not the end of the world. It will come back to room temperature, but it may just realize that it may make your sourdough struggle a little bit. Um, like I said, it could make it go a little bit slower or it could slow it down a whole lot. Okay. So we have our water, we have our flour, and now we have our starter, which I talked about. Um, you can either get the wet from your friend or you can get the dehydrated. Um, if you have the dehydrated, all you do is add it to the flour and the water that you're already using. That's it. Um, nothing extra that needs to be done. So now that we have our three ingredients, let's talk about how to actually get a starter going. You're going to need a jar. Um, I recommend that you start with about a pint-sized jar. Um, you can go ahead and use a quart. I use a quart jar just because I tend to be a little bit heavy-handed with mine. So I'm making a bigger portion of starter. Um, but in the very beginning especially, you can just start with a pint jar because you're not dealing with huge amounts, okay? You want to mix together equal parts of water flour and starter and I'm not talking about huge amounts I'm talking about when it's all combined your little mix is about a quarter cup it's not a lot it's like three spoonfuls get grab a spoon out of your out of your kitchen drawer dump three spoonfuls of flour into your jar dribble some water on there that's equal to about the amount of flour Mix it up with your spoon. You're looking to mix it into a muffin batter type consistency. So you don't want it thin and runny, but you don't want it to be clumpy and dry. You want that thick consistency because then you have a good amount of flour in there for the starter to eat and um, it's not too wet. Okay? Once you have done that, if you have the starter, you're also going to add an equal amount of the starter. So if you're using two spoonfuls of flour and two spoonfuls of water, then you use two spoonfuls of starter. And you just mix it all in together. Okay? And you want a muffin batter consistency. Then you're going to put a loose lid on it. When I first started, I didn't have anything else. So I took an, a canning lid and turned it upside down and then I put the ring on but I didn't tighten it just enough to hold the canning lid in place that gave it some breathing room in the top you can also use a piece of cloth or cheesecloth um, I've taken one of my cloth napkins and a rubber band and tied it around the top um, and now Georgia has made me a couple jar bonnets um, which is just a circle piece of fabric with elastic sewn through it um, so that it fits on top of my jar. It needs room to breathe because as it begins to eat through the flour, it's going to produce gas. 
and that needs somewhere to escape. Otherwise, the gas will build up in there and you can end up um, overflowing your jar. So, once you have added your three ingredients, you have the muffin batter consistency, you put the lid on it or the cover and give it the room it needs to breathe, then you can either put it in a cabinet or you can leave it sitting on the counter. It does not need to go into the refrigerator. Refrigerating it will make it go very slow. It will pause it basically. It won't grow anymore from then to the next time you take it out. So I leave mine sitting on my counter because I don't know about y'all but I'm easily distracted and I'm really really busy and if it's not right in front of my face I'm gonna forget it's there. So once you've got got it started and you sit it on your counter wait about 12 hours and then feed it again same ratio do the same thing add a couple more spoonfuls of flour a couple more spoonfuls of water stir it up until you get it to muffin batter consistency again put the cover back on it put it back on your counter okay about every 12-ish hours to me, this was the biggest thing to overcome, was remembering to feed it twice a day. If you forget, don't worry about it. Feed it when you remember, okay? Um, Alexa from Sprouts on Sprouts says that she does these cluster feedings at the beginning to help it get, a, get established and started. Some of the places that you will read will only tell you to do it once a day, and it will take a long time to get it started. Um, doing it this way and feeding it twice a day roughly every 12 hours gets it active a little bit faster and so then you have something you can actually work with and do something with so um, I tended to do it about nine in the morning and nine at night because when my girls were going to bed I'd be like oh I have to remember to feed my sourdough so I would go in there and feed my starter then when I got up in the morning by the time I had gotten up and had some coffee and maybe some breakfast then it was about nine o'clock and I'd go oh I need to feed my starter so um again you're not having to be exact with this Sometimes it'd be 10, 30, 11 o'clock before I remembered to feed it. Sometimes I would forget to feed it at night or in the morning. And I would just feed it again the next time I thought about it. Okay? But you're aiming for about every 12 hours. And again, the same ratio. So, after a few feeds though, your jar is going to be like half full of starter. Okay? And you want to understand that when your starter gets active... It's going to double in size and grow and then it's going to fall back down because as it's eating through that flower and it makes all those bubbles, it's going to rise up and then as that gas um, dissipates, it's going to lower back down. It's just like raising bread and it falls eventually. Um, so you always need to make sure that whatever starter you have in a jar is not more than half of the jar because it needs room to grow okay so when you get to where your jar is half full you either number one need to move it to a larger jar maybe you started with a pint jar and you move it to a quart jar or you need to begin to discard okay one of the questions i had on 
my Instagram in the stories. I put a question box on there about um, sourdough starter. And one of the questions I had is, what is discard? I hear about it all the time. I don't know what it is. Discard is when you're feeding a new starter and you feed it and you feed it and you feed it. And then you need to take some out so that the jar doesn't get too full. And you can either throw it away or discard it. Um, if you have chickens, you can feed it to your chickens. They enjoy it. Or you can save it in another jar and keep it in your refrigerator and use it for sourdough discard recipes. Discard is just the extra starter that you're making as you're keeping your starter fed. Okay? You take some out and you leave about a quarter cup or so in your jar and then you add to that, you know, the flour and the water in equal amounts and feed it again to keep it going. So once you get to the point that you're discarding, you'll you'll discard some every time you feed. So then you have a lot of discards started. Um and you can just keep a jar in the fridge, like I said, and keep adding to it. There are tons of recipes out there for how to use discard. You're going to use discard in things that don't need a rise time necessarily. Things like um, pizza dough and biscuits and crackers and pancakes and things like that where it's beneficial to have that natural yeast action going on but it doesn't require the same it doesn't require as much yeast and such as um, regular bread would okay so if you just type in sourdough discard recipes um, in google you're going to get a ton of of different examples um, so that is the discard it's the stuff it's the extra starter that we're taking out of the jar so that we have a smaller amount to work with. And the reason you want to do that, you think about it this way. Your sourdough starter is hungry. You're feeding it an equal amount to whatever its size is. Okay? So if you have a quarter cup of starter, you're adding a quarter cup of flour and a quarter cup of water. If you have three quarter cups of starter, you would be adding and not discarding if you weren't discarding you would be adding three quarter cups of flour and three quarter cups of water so then the next time you're going to have more than a cup of starter and then you're going to have to add a cup of flour and a cup of water one it uses a lot more of your three basic ingredients two the more you feed it and the larger it is then the more it needs to be fed the next time and so it's going to be harder to keep it fed and happy and active when you have a larger amount to work with. So you need to take some of it away and set it aside and then use that activated stuff that's that's growing and add to that to make it grow even more, okay? So once you've done that, your jar is gonna get messy. Um, it, there's gonna be goo all over the inside of it from the flour and the water mixing together and sticking to the sides and um, at some point it might be crusty or it might just it's going to get messy 
and you're going to think this jar is kind of gross. I, I really would like to put this in a clean jar. So all you need to do is scrape all of the starter out of the jar that you've been using and put it into a new jar. Um, and then when you do that, be sure to wash your old jar right away or at least submerge it in water. Um, sourdough starter, when it dries onto something, it's like glue. I mean, it's it's flour and water. It's going to dry like glue. And it's kind of hard to get off. And it's, it's a pain to clean. So if you get it while it's fresh, though, um, it just sprays right off. And it's, it's pretty easy. So you're going to keep feeding it that same ratio. You've got your little bit of starter in there. You look at it and say, okay, it looks like there's about this much starter in here. So I'm going to add that same amount of flour and that same amount of water. Um, mine is at a point where I basically add three to four spoonfuls of flour. I have a flour jar on my counter and I keep a spoon in it so that all I have to do is spoon flour into the jar until the layer of flour on top of the starter is about the same size as the layer of starter on the bottom. And then I take it over to the Berkey and I pour some water in it and I mix it. And if it's too thick, I add a little bit more water. If I accidentally add more water than I was supposed to, then I maybe add in a little bit more flour. That's it. Put the cover back on it, set it back on the counter. That's all you have to do. After a few feedings, you're going to start to see some bubbles. And that's how you know you're on the right track. Okay, um, it will begin to bubble. It will begin to smell yeasty. It will smell like fresh bread. Um, and then you'll see more and more bubbles. And at some point, it's going to double in size and then fall. And you'll be able to see that it has done that because when it goes up your jar and then falls, it's going to leave marks where it was. Um, Another little trick I see lots and lots of people do. I did it in the beginning. I don't need to do it now um, because I can kind of, I've learned how to look at my starter and tell if it's risen and fell and that kind of thing. But in the beginning, you maybe want to put a rubber band on your jar where the top of the starter is once you've got it mixed up. And then when it rises and falls, you can look and see, is there anything on my jar up above my rubber band line? then you'll know that it's growing. Okay? Another question that I got um, on the Instagram question box that I did a few days ago was, how do I know if my starter is bad? I will let you know that it is pretty darn hard to ruin a starter. Um, this was the part that I didn't understand in the beginning. And Every other time I started to make sourdough, I gave up in making the starter because I expected it to be active in X number of days or I expected it to look a certain way and it didn't. And this is the thing I wish I would have understood from the beginning. It's going to vary how long it takes for your starter to get active. It's going to depend on whether you're having sunny, warm days or cold days, whether your house is really drafty or whether it's warm and cozy. 
Um, those types of things have a large connection to how well your sourdough is going to respond okay and how quickly your starter will grow so understand that there's a varying timeline here um, I cannot tell you that in three days if it's not bubbling that your starter's bad and you need to start over no um, some people are going to have bubbles at three days some people might take a week before they get bubbles it really it depends a lot again on the temperature of your water are you using good quality flour what is the temperature in your house all those things are important um, they're they're not so important that I believe that we have to track all of that um, if we just have general principles in mind like we're talking about here today we can keep it really simple um, but know that all those different factors will affect how quickly it grows and so even in the same house with the same water and the same flour it's going to respond differently in the winter than it would in the summertime okay so how do you know when it's bad um there's two things that you might see on the top that might make you think that it's well three things three things that you might see on the top that might make you think that it's bad one of them is doom and the other two are not so first of all if there's anything fuzzy and colored growing on top green black pink fuzz growing on top that is mold and you do need to throw it away and start again with a fresh clean jar um it's very very uncommon to have mold in your sourdough um but it is something to keep an eye out for um but that is a sure sign that um your sourdough starter is bad and it needs to be thrown away number two thing that you may see is a dark colored liquid it may look brown or it may look like tea on top that is called the hooch and this is basically a liquid byproduct of the um the yeast in the starter eating through the flour and it produces this hooch okay it usually means that it did not have enough flour to eat and it's still hungry and so it produces that liquid on top um there are split camps on what to do with that some people think it's gross and they just pour it off other people mix it right back in um, it really does not matter whichever you choose to do is just fine um, but that is just a byproduct of your starter eating it is not bad it doesn't mean that it's spoiled it's perfectly healthy the other thing that you might find on top of your sourdough is crust if the top of your sourdough has dried out and gotten a hard crust on it um, believe it or not it's still okay you can pull that crust off and find the the wet underneath and then you can feed that with the water and flour and mix it up just as you would before and it will begin to reactivate basically if it gets dried crust on top it just means that it had too much air exposure and it got dried out um, it didn't have enough water so if you correct the situation take away the dried part um, 
leave the wet behind, add some more flour and water, mix it up, put a cover on it, it'll be happy again, okay? The only other time you could possibly ruin a starter is if you were to put the starter in a warm place thinking that you were going to help it eat faster and and double more quickly and maybe the place was too warm and you partially baked it. That unfortunately is a situation where it's not usable anymore. Um, if you bake the starter, it's been used. It, it can't be revived. So you would need to throw that away and start again. So we've been feeding our sourdough starter for a while now, a few days. We've had a couple feedings where it's, it's bubbling really well. It doubles and then it falls. And so then when do you get to bake with it? When do you get to make sourdough bread? Here's how you know it's ready. When you find your, your um, sourdough starter has risen and it's real high, um, grab a little bit of it and drop it in some water. If it floats, it's ready to bake with. If it sinks, it's not quite ready. And usually another feeding will be just what it needs um, to be ready to bake with. Um, once you're ready to bake, venison for dinner by far has the best um, tutorial on how to bake sourdough bread I've ever seen. She makes a soft sourdough sandwich bread. Her recipe is very, very, very detailed. Um, there's an extensive blog post that goes with it, and then there's the actual recipe that also has lots of explanation in it. Um, it also has a place where you can um, change it from, if you if you want to make more than one loaf, if you want to make two loaves or three loaves or four loaves, you can put that in, and then when it prints, it will print out It'll do all the multiplying for you and it'll have the exact measurements of what you need as far as flour and salt and all those kinds of things to make your actual loaf of bread. Um, the basic steps, I'm going to leave a link in the show notes for um, Kate at Venison for Dinner, um, her blog site where she details all of that. Um, again, she is another who believes in um, baking bread like Ma Ingalls did. Um, it doesn't have to be complicated. We make it complicated, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, the basic steps that you're going to follow when you're going to make sourdough bread is you're going to mix up a pre-ferment the night before. It's basically starter with extra flour and water to give it a boost. Okay. And then in the morning, you're going to leave that sitting overnight on the counter. And then the next morning, you're going to mix up the rest of the dough with that. And you're going to knead it. Um, kneading is basically just, you have the ball of dough in the bowl. And you're going to pick up one side of it, stretch it up, and lay it over top of 